those that are joining us online today, we want to welcome you as well. Uh, today we begin a new sermon series. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 together in just a minute if you want to be finding that in, a, in your Bible and follow along there. Uh, we're calling this series Kingdom Come. And we, we kicked off this season that we're in right now leading up to Easter this past Wednesday with an Ash Wednesday service. Uh, we'll have several other things going on over the course of the next six weeks together, uh, but one of those includes this series, and uh, this will take us up to the Sunday before Easter on Palm Sunday, March 24th. And in this series, we're going to spend our time in just three chapters of the Bible, in Matthew chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. These three stories contain uh, a lot, these three chapters rather, contain a lot of rich stories about Jesus' life and his ministry. You know, each week when we pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, we pray these words. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. And so when we, when we say those words, we're making a statement that we are a part of a kingdom and that God is king and that we're asking the king of our kingdom to bring his reign and his rule to bear on the place where we are on earth. Uh, make, make the things that are happening in heaven come down to, her, to earth and have, have things operate here as they operate in heaven. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We understand that a kingdom is simply a territory uh, that is, designates where a ruler operates and where that ruler has authority. Uh, and so our king has authority to rule and reign within all of the territory, heaven and earth, every place. What we're saying with this prayer, this line of this prayer is that God, you as our king, have authority to operate in every territory that exists. The heaven territory, you got that covered. We want you to also operate in this territory on earth, and we want to make earth the way it is in heaven. Make up, make down here like it is up there is a way that I've said that before. So as we go through this series over the next several weeks, I want to ask a couple of questions each week, and I want you to ask these questions. I may not revisit them every week, but I want you to know that these are the kind of questions that I want us to be asking how has the kingdom come then, as we read the stories in Matthew 8, 9, and 10, we want to think about how do we see the kingdom of God coming to bear in the stories that we're going to look at together? How is Jesus bringing about the kingdom of God? And also, how might Jesus be bringing the kingdom of God now, in our day, in our time, in 2024? Uh, we recognize, and I've talked about this before, but I want to mention again that we, we recognize we live at a unique moment in history, right? That we understand that there were some things that were set in motion through Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. Uh, the kingdom has already come through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And yet we also recognize as we look around the world, as we look, look at our own lives and the lives of people that we love, that things are still a bit incomplete. There are things that are broken, things that are off, things that are not right, not, have not been set right fully by the reign and the rule of our king. Every broken thing has not been repaired. Every rough place has not yet been made smooth. And so this is what we know of as the already and not yet kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has already come and it has not yet fully come. 
hasn't come in its fullness, you might say. And so as we read Matthew 8, 9, and 10 together, I want to ask, how is the kingdom coming then? How has it already come? How, how do we see Jesus bringing the kingdom of God to bear, God's reign and rule to bear in the world at that time? And then how can we take the story that we're looking at and also apply it to our lives and our situation and ask, how is God bringing the kingdom now? And so we're going to start this morning at the beginning of Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to pick up in verse 1. This is what Matthew records. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one to come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who were following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. The first words in Matthew chapter 8, are when Jesus came down from the mountainside. And Matthew tells us this so that we'll pay attention to what just happened. If you're familiar with the gospel of Matthew, you know that the stories that precede the story that we, the stories we just read in Matthew chapter 8, in chapters, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, contain the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest recorded sermon. The Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says things like, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. He says things like, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says things like, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? These are just a few of the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And what comes after the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 8, 9, and 10 are, that we're going to look at over the course of this next several weeks together are 10 different healing stories. And then in chapter 10, there's going to be some sending that Jesus does as a result of the healing ministry that is taking place. And I want, to, I want you to notice the first words of Matthew chapter 8 because Matthew wants us to notice 
that what he, Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount is connected to the stories that we're about to study together. So we're not going to study the Sermon on the Mount, but you're going to get to see the Sermon on the Mount lived out in Matthew 8, 9, and 10. Matthew wants to connect it, wants you to connect and build the bridge here. I'll say it this way. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God. In Matthew 8, 9, and 10, Jesus is illustrating the kingdom of God. You're getting to hear what the teaching is like, and then you're getting to see what it actually looks like in real life. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about things like loving our enemies. And then he does what? He heals the centurion's servant, a centurion that was supposed to be his enemy. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are people in humble positions. And then he does what? He heals a leper. Jesus gives us a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like in real life when you actually begin to live it out. He moves it from just teaching to something that people could experience. And, and we need to certainly know crowds were following him because of his healing. And he was getting an opportunity to teach, but everybody wanted a healer. Everybody wanted to experience this, this thing that they had been hearing about and people were talking about, these miracles that he had been performing everywhere that he went. So years ago, I had an opportunity to, on a mission trip to visit a leper colony in Thailand. I'd spent a summer there working with some missionaries. I was in college with some other college students, and we went on one of our excursions that we went on during these 10 weeks that I spent in Thailand. We went to visit a leper colony. Leprosy is this terrible skin disease with sores, but it also impacts your nerve endings, and that was something that I didn't know until that experience where I went and visited this leper colony because there were people there who, not to be like overly gross about it, but the reality was there were in, the ends of their fingers were missing because you, can, you, you, you lose the feeling in your nerves and so you get a sore and you scratch and you scratch and you scratch, but you can't feel yourself scratching. And so you just whittle your fingers down in some, some cases. This is how it plays out in some people's life. And so part of the terrible reality of leprosy is what it did to you physically, right? Leprosy is now curable, but then it was highly contagious. And so people that contracted it were banished from the community. They had to live outside the community. But then they had to leave their home. They had to leave their family. They had to leave everything that they'd known about their life. They had to go outside of their village and live somewhere out in a leper colony. And not only did you have to live outside the village when you did come into the village for something because you had to for food or for some other need that you had, you, had, you were forced to walk around and to make sure everybody around you knew that you were unclean, that you had leprosy. And so you had to yell out, unclean, 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 as you're walking down the road, unclean, 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 just so people would keep their distance from you. So in addition to the terrible reality that leprosy was physically, there was a even greater, I think, in some ways, social reality that people felt when they were dealing with leprosy. The social toll that it took on a person was enormous. Isolation, loneliness, grief. Grief about the people and the life that you had left, that you'd lost, people you'd lost contact with. People that wanted nothing to do with you anymore because you now have this disease that they could have nothing to do with. 
And so knowing all of that, and some of you have heard things like that, or you know some things about leprosy, you've heard other people talk about it in the past, but I want you to kind of hear it again this morning. And knowing all of that, I want you to think again about this story about Jesus healing the leper. Matthew tells us that when the man asked Jesus to heal him, what Jesus does next is that he reaches out his hand and touches the man. Now, how long do you imagine when you imagine the story that it had been? How many years had gone by since this man was touched by another human being? Since someone held his hand, since someone gave him a hug, since someone touched his shoulder, all of those physical touching points beside themselves, how long had it been since someone had just greeted this man with excitement? It's likely that somebody has seen you in the last week and smiled when you walked in the room. Someone has been glad to see you in the last week. How long had it been since this man had had anyone excited to see him walk into the room? How long had it been since anybody had touched his body? No one, no one would have ever dreamed of touching this man, which is why what Jesus does is so amazing. And it's why Matthew wants us to be sure that we pick up on the fact that that's how Jesus healed the man. Jesus did heal him. But Jesus understood that what the leper needed more than physical healing was to be welcomed back into society, was to be reminded that he is a human being, that he is a child of God, that he needed to be reintegrated back into a family, a community, and the life that he once had in his village. And by touching him, Jesus did just that, restored this man back as a member of Israel, back as a member of the community. You may remember at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have come to fulfill them. And when you hear this story, I want you to keep this passage in your mind for just a second. Because when you hear this story, I think that these words land a bit different. See, the leper couldn't just go from one day shouting unclean, unclean, to the next day acting like nothing had ever happened. People would have been looking at him like, what are you doing? Why are you here? I know who you are. I know you weren't a part of this society before. So Jesus knows this and Jesus tells him, go to the priest. There's some sacrifices that need to be offered, right? When somebody was made clean, they were cured of something, healed of something, they had to go to the priest to get sort of official authorization that it was legit. And so Jesus tells him, go through the regular process. Go to the priest and then make the required offering. And Jesus did this because he understood that this was the law and Jesus was honoring the law. But... By touching this man with leprosy, Jesus was also violating the law because you don't touch lepers. So the question is then, why did Jesus touch him? Couldn't he have just spoken the word and he'd been healed? 
he might, you might wonder, you might question, you might ask, is, he even, is Jesus even powerful enough to do that kind of healing where he just speaks a word? And Matthew was hoping that you would be so offended by the fact that Jesus touched him that you would ask that question. Which is why Jesus, Matthew places the story about Jesus healing the centurion servant right after the story of Jesus touching the leper. Because he's wondering, he's, Matthew's imagining as he writes his gospel account that people are going to be wondering, I mean, Matthew saw Jesus touch the leper. And Matthew's asking the question. And he's like, when I tell this story later, people are going to be wondering, surely there was another way Jesus could have done that because that would have made Jesus unclean. And then so Matthew places this other story, whether it happened right afterwards or not isn't really important, but it happened at some point and Matthew wants you to know the question that you're asking about, could Jesus have spoken the word and healed somebody? Yes, let me tell you a story about a time that that happened. So why then did Jesus touch the man with leprosy? I would suggest to you this morning that Jesus did this to fulfill God's deeper intention with the law. Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. He didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill the law. And the fulfillment of God's law was to restore this man as a full human being. And in doing this, Jesus is making a point. It's a really simple point but that people matter more than the law. By touching the man, he was announcing that people matter more than the law. He was wrestling. Jesus was wanting us to wrestle with the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law, right? By touching the man, he was all, Jesus was also doing something else though. Jesus was also announcing the kingdom of God. He was saying, again, I want you to think about this question. How is Jesus bringing about the kingdom of God in this story? By touching this man, he was announcing the kingdom of God. Jesus Jesus was saying through his actions that there will be a day, church, when God's kingdom fully comes and God's will is fully done on earth as it is in heaven, when there will be no more leprosy or disease or death or sadness. There will be no more isolation or loneliness. There will be no unclean and clean in the kingdom that is to come. Jesus was saying this, restoring people is part of what the gospel is and has always been about. And there are so many ways that we, as we think about how we bring about the kingdom of God, how do we bring God's reign and rule to bear in our time and in our day? There are so many ways that we can do this, ways that we bring healing and life and restoration into the world around us, restoring people, restoring life, bringing healing with us as we go about living our lives. And we're doing some of those things here already as a church. One of the things that I thought about this week, the Hope Center apartments that most of you know about and are aware of across the parking lot over here where we're trying to provide transitional housing for people who find themselves in situations in life where they need a place to live. And they're just about finished. And it's almost, it's getting closer to time to try to begin to 
to kind of launch the next phase of that ministry. But what that ministry is about, one, on one hand, you see, when you see something like that, you think, wow, that's really neat, a church that's providing housing for people who need housing. And that is happening on one hand. Just like you see the leper being healed and you see a person being healed is happening on one hand. But a deeper thing is happening, we have to understand as well. The Hope Center Apartments are about the kingdom of God coming to earth, restoring people, welcoming them as a full member of society, right? Every week you see children come up here and run and put their money in these copper buckets. And on one hand, it's kids giving money and giving Chris a hug and tripping over the steps. And there's a thousand things, chaos that ensues, right, every single week that happens. And that is on one level, on the human level, that is what we see, money being given to a cause. But on a deeper level, what's happening is that children who are working 12 to 14 hours a day instead of going to school in the fishing industry in Ghana, Africa, are being rescued from slavery, from child trafficking situations and re- put back with their families where they should have been in the first place and things are being placed around them to prepare them to live a different life moving forward. This is the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, the restoration of people. Every time... Right? Every time you choose in your own life to be reconciled to someone, to forgive someone, and you choose that over bitterness or anger or resentment, the kingdom of God is coming to earth. The restoration of people is happening. One, one way that this happened recently is through Night to Shine. And I'm going to tr- promise you that I'm going to try to do my best to not use Night to Shine illustrations for the next for, for every week moving forward, you know, for the rest of the year. I, I can't guarantee it, but I'm going to try. But last Friday, the kingdom of God arrived in this place. And for those of you who don't know about Night to Shine or you were not able to be here, it's a prom night experience for people with special needs. And we had about 75 people who came. We referred to them as kings and queens. And when they arrived, they came in, they parked, in the, came in these doors in the foyer, came into the foyer and checked in, and they were paired up with a buddy, a volunteer who had agreed to stay with them all night long. And that included going to do karaoke and dancing and eating food and riding the limousine and all the activities that we had planned. And one of the things that happened, which I happened to be, have kind of a front row seat to last Friday night, was they, they came in, they got checked in, and then they went down the hallway and turned towards the offices, and they went back outside briefly to go down a red carpet that was lined with people on both sides, cheering and waving pom-poms and celebrating and honoring these kings and queens as they went down the red carpet. And at the end of the red carpet, there were photographers who were taking pictures of these kings and queens. And I had the privilege as the kings and queens came with their buddy down the hallway to, to stand at the office door and open it and greet them as they began to walk down the red carpet. And the Im, these images in, will last in my mind forever, probably for the rest of my life. It's just this powerful visual reminder because these boys and girls, these men and women in some cases that have experienced what it is like to be pushed to the sidelines, to be marginalized. They have experienced what it is like to have people treat them like they are unclean. Have had the, they had the chance to be welcomed and honored and celebrated 
and the looks on their faces told the story. There was one moment where a young man was coming down the red carpet and I'm standing at the office door and he's walking down the carpet. It turned around and it went back into the fellowship hall and I see his parents who weren't supposed to be there but they had snuck around to watch. They, they wanted to see their son go down the red carpet and the smiles on these parents, these, this mom and dad's face as they watch their son be celebrated and cheered on and honored was priceless. Right? There, there, was, there was this moment where they, they realized, like, our son is a, is a normal person and he's being treated like a normal person. We've known it all along, and now other people are recognizing it as well. There, there was an area that we had for parents and caretakers up in the teen room. And if you're familiar with the teen room, you may not have ever noticed this, but there are windows along the whole side of the teen room wall that look over into the gym. And there were several moments throughout the night where I looked up from the gym floor where the dance and the food were taking place to see shoulder to shoulder parents lined up against those windows, pressed up against it so that they could watch their children being treated as welcomed members of the community. And I couldn't help but think as I've replayed those scenes in my mind that what the kings and queens and parents and even the volunteers were experiencing, whether they knew it or not, on one hand, it was like, man, what a cool event that y'all did for people with special needs. That was happening on one level. But what was happening on a deeper level was that the kingdom of God was coming to earth. The kingdom of God was coming to earth as it is in heaven. Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom that restores people and welcomes them back into the community. And you, you see this in the story with Jesus healing the leper, but you, you see it as well in the next story about the centurion soldier who comes to Jesus because his servant is paralyzed and suffering. Jesus knew, right? He knew, Jesus knew when this centurion came to him that it wasn't yet time for Gentiles to be welcomed full as full members into the community. That would come after, in the book of Acts, after Jesus had ascended back to the Father as the disciples began to carry out the ministry that Jesus had given them to carry out. But Jesus, knowing that, still healed the, the man's servant. It was like he saw the man's faith as of like this, the way I, I interpret this story is that Jesus saw this man's faith as like an advanced sign of what was going to come later. Because he says, if you, if you go think about what we read a minute ago in Matthew 8, he says, many, I've never, this faith is unbelievable. I've not seen faith like this in Israel. I tell you that many will come from the east and the west and they will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what's Jesus talking about there? He's talking about, he's referencing back in Genesis chapter 12 when God told Abraham, way back at the beginning of the story, God said to Abraham, all the people of the earth, go back and check me, Genesis 12, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. This is what Jesus is referencing. And what's interesting, that happens at the beginning of the Bible, but at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we actually get a glimpse we get a glimpse of this feast of Abraham that Jesus is referring to. Listen to these words, these beautiful words that John records in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. He says, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from where? 
every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. John imagines and pictures and gets this vision of a great celebration at the end of all things that is going to include people from every nation. What God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 will come true. There will be people from every corner of the world. And in this moment, when Jesus heals the servant of this Gentile centurion, it was a way, on one hand, a servant is being healed with a word. But on another hand, on a deeper level, it was a moment where Jesus was announcing in that moment what would happen in the fullest way possible to come at a later date. He was actually healing the servant, but he was also announcing that the kingdom of God is going to include people from outside of Israel. The disciples did not have the eyes to see it at that point. They weren't ready to receive that mind-blowing message. It took a dream that Peter would, hear, would receive later to sort of wake him up and slap him in the face to get him to kind of come to terms with what Jesus had been talking about all along. And, and this moment, church, what I want you to see is not just for someone else, it also includes you. And it includes the person who may not be like you. They are welcome too. And it includes a future gathering of people from every tribe and every nation and every language, so many that nobody can count, that will all one day be crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. Be glory and honor and praise forever and ever and ever. Anytime that we do what Jesus did. We touch the leper. We touch someone that is untouchable. We engage someone that is on the margins, that is considered on the outside. Anytime we welcome the outsider, anytime we participate in the restoration of people and welcoming people back into the community, anytime that we forgive, anytime that we serve, anytime that we put other people before ourselves, Anytime that we do any of these things, those things are happening. And on a deeper level, so what else is happening is that heaven is coming to earth. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world on earth as it is in heaven. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to end today by saying a prayer together. It's a prayer we've prayed before, a prayer that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that I think captures really well what it means to participate in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so let's pray these words together before we sing and are led in our shepherd's prayer. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive 
It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let's sing together.